100.7 FM WHIN 1010 AM presents Sumner County Spotlight, a weekly public affairs program each Sunday at 10 AM. Sumner County Spotlight, exclusively by FNM Bank. 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville. FNM Bank offers personal banking, business banking, and mortgage loans too. Right here in Hendersonville, FNM Bank is one of the top independent banks in Tennessee. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. MMLS number 518158. Here's your host for Sumner County Spotlights, Tony Richards. Good morning, this is Jeff Shannon, and this is Sumner County Spotlight, brought to you exclusively by FNM Bank at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard and at myfnmbank.com. We're here each Sunday morning at 10 o'clock right here at WHIN. This morning, we got a special guy right here, and you're going to love hearing what he has to say. Eddie Roberson is the former director and chairman of the Tennessee Regulatory Authority, and he was first hired by the Public Service Commission, the predecessor of the Tennessee Regulatory Authority, in 1975. He was then appointed to the Regulatory Authority in 2006 by then-Governor Phil Bredesen and reappointed in 2008. So, ladies and gentlemen, I introduce you to Eddie Roberson. And Eddie, tell us more about yourself. It's interesting. Well, Jeff, thank you for inviting me to, today to your program. I am the son of a minister. My father pastored, uh, pastored in Nashville. Uh, we moved to Chattanooga when I was nine years old. And I was raised in Chattanooga. And Went to the University of Chattanooga and got both my undergraduate and master's degree from there. I was elected to the school board twice in Chattanooga. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then in uh, 1989, I was offered a position as a division chief with the old Tennessee Public Service Commission. The commission regulates public utilities like Nashville Gas and some water companies uh, used to be AT&T. So I moved to Nashville in 1989 with my wife and two little daughters, and we moved to Hendersonville. We looked around, and Hendersonville was the place that we wanted to make our home. So we moved there, and uh, during that time, um, I, I, I did several other things. I also officiated high school basketball and football, TSSAA official. And uh, had the privilege of uh, refereeing some playoff games, high school playoff games. Got involved with the Rotary Club of Hendersonville and uh, just fell in love with Hendersonville. It is a great place to live, work, and play. Uh, And so then I was appointed uh, by Governor Bredesen as a commissioner with the uh, Tennessee Regulatory Authority, as you stated, and then became became chairman of that agency the last three years that I was uh, at the commission. So I really started out at the bottom of the organization and worked my way all the way up as chairman. And I'm eternally grateful. We did some great work uh, while we were at the commission. And uh, and then uh, came to Hendersonville. I retired and did some consulting for about three years. And that started to play out. And uh, I looked for something to be more involved in the community. And I ran for alderman in Ward 6 uh, because I wanted to try to help the city uh, move forward, to, to bring the city together and to, to pr- provide, uh, you know, a, a vision for the city that I think uh, that we need to move. And uh, the people of Ward 6 were uh, gracious enough to give me this chance, and I hope I haven't disappointed them. I worked hard to try to represent their needs and their views uh and it's been an interesting experience i 
Uh, mm. I, I've enjoyed my time as an alderman. So as, as the, the alderman in Ward 6, what are some of the issues that you've come across that you know you feel that you've made an impact on? Well, there are basically three issues that I ran on. Um, in my discussions with residents of Ward 6 and even other residents of the city, uh, the, the, the overwhelming majority of residents want us to do better on our roads. Our, our roads, uh, the paving uh, is, many of them are in disrepair. Many of them haven't been paid for 20, 25 years, and, and they're in horrible shape. And so I ran on the platform of, I want to do everything I can to pave more roads. And of course, to pave more roads means you have to put more money in paving. And I've tried to do that uh, to the best of my ability. Of course, COVID-19 uh, upset our budgetary process. Uh, so we weren't able to put as much into paving uh, 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 this year as we wanted to. But uh, I think we are making progress. I wanted to also uh, do what I could to support our first responders, mm -hmm. uh, the police and fire department. Our city's growing and we need uh, we need better fire protection service. Uh, we and, and as our city grows, uh, uh, we need better police service. I, I've been very, very pleased to support and uh, uh, to support the installation of cameras uh, that can detect license plates. So when people come in from Nashville or other places into our city, uh, we have cameras at certain locations that take a picture of their of their license plate and can tell us if that vehicle is stolen, if there's any outstanding warrants of the person that owns that vehicle. And we've been able to catch hundreds and hundreds of people uh, that wanted to come in our city and do mischief. So I think we've made progress there. And then the last thing is the traffic, and we're still working on that. We're trying mm -hmm. to get all of, the, all of the red lights in our city synchronized so that they all, once we hit a green light, we've got several green lights ahead, and will improve the traffic flow. We're still working on that. We have to get approval from the state, and it's been a nightmare to, to go th jump through all the hoops because the state is going to pay that, not our citizens. And uh, that is a goal that I hope we can finish within the next six to eight months. Well, you know, I think if, if we just got down to it and paved all the roads, got rid of all the paving issues, there'll be nothing else to talk about. We just live happily ever after right here in Hendersonville. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, you're right. That that is a major concern, and you know, in this uh, in this election, I've noticed that every one of the candidates, even incumbents, are saying we need to pave more roads, mm -hmm. and uh, we need to keep the the citizens need to keep the pressure on us, because when we come around, Jeff, to budget time. There are so many different pressures. We need money for this. We need money for this. We need money for this. Mm -hmm. Don't forget the promises you made to the voters. If you promised to do more paving in the city, then when budget time comes, make those tough decisions and put more money in paving. And that's what I'm hoping that we'll do in the future. Well, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely a good cause, and it's definitely something that comes up all the time. There's no question about it. So uh, the one thing you said that I was very impressed, uh, being ex-law enforcement myself, I, I can appreciate the, the support 
that government officials uh, give to this. And I know that Chief Bush and and Chief Miller are very proud of this city and do a great job. One of the finest uh, police departments around. And I applaud you for the, you know, the, the camera use because that has really slayed tons of folks. And look, if you, you come to Hendersonville, commit a crime, you're going to jail. And that's just bottom line. So what else are, are we working with with the police and fire to help assist them? Well, Jeff, uh, many of your listeners may have recently seen where our police department caught two registered sex offenders in one of our ball complexes, our parks. Uh, and that was because uh, in last year's budget process, we did, we decided and allocated money to begin to put cameras in our parks. And so uh, that's just another level of protection that our police can monitor uh, and, and make sure that our parks are safe. You know, I, I think that we need to do several things with, with, with our safety aspect. First, we need to try to search out every grant possible. And our police and fire do an excellent job on that. There are a lot, there's a lot of grant money that's available in, at various sources, and so we need to try to get that grant money that can help us move forward. We need to move forward in technology. Um, the technology of the cameras is a great asset for us. It, it helps modernize our police force. We need to, both police and fire, we need to give them the resources they need. We need to make sure they have the training that they need. Uh, so the number one the number one position of an alderman, an elected alderman in the city, is public safety. We can't sacrifice anything for public safety. We can't put anything over the needs of our public safety. Yes. And you're exactly right. We have an excellent police chief in Chief Miller and an excellent uh, fire chief in Chief Bush. Uh, and we have an excellent uh, – the, the citizens of Hendersonville – can sleep well at night because of our police force and because of our fire department. They are outstanding. Well, and no, no question about that. And probably been here for maybe almost five years. And I've, I've just constantly would see these people coming into our city and they're getting arrested. You come and commit a crime, you are going to get arrested. So you need to spread the word to all your cronies don't come to Hendersonville because they will catch you. And I, I think they've just done a great job. And I think uh, as, you know, as a city, th- that's a great idea to give ultimate support uh, to our police and fire and our first responders and not do this defunding thing that's going on because that just doesn't work. No, it, it, in, uh, in some cities, they are defunding the, the police, but in Hendersonville, we support and are grateful for our police department. And uh, of the things that I've mentioned, also we need to show them that our community support. Too many times we take our police department, our fire department, we take them for granted. So I encourage every citizen, when, when you're out and you see a fireman or you see a policeman, thank them for the service to their, for our city because their service is dangerous. It's a dangerous job, and they do it professionally, and they put service above self every day. 
Well, and I think the, you know, the city is is definitely uh, proud of their departments, and I know that the the support is there. I mean, I've I've watched the BOMA meetings, I've watched the the budget meetings, and I see that uh, you know it's very rarely that any kind of money is taken away from them. And, you know, with budgets, they're going to come and go and you're going to have issues. I understand that. But I think with the police and fire, I think the people really realize that that has to be there. Yes. Uh, you know, they, they protect our property from fire. They, they protect our lives from crime and, and our EMTs are there to protect us in medical emergencies. And, and uh, we're very appreciative and grateful. That is one of the reasons why that uh, I brought forward the idea to our Rotary Club in Hendersonville about mm-hmm. let's let's build something, a memorial, so that police officers of the past that are retired, current officers and officers of the future can look and see a, a memorial that, hey, this city appreciates and supports its first responders. Yes. And I want to get more into that. I would like to know, and I think our listeners would like to know, how did that come about? What the history of, of getting this done and how it all kind of transpired? I know it, is, it was kind of a rocky road, but we're going to talk more about that in our second segment. So we're going to our first break. We're doing our conversation right now with Eddie Roberson and a message right now from our sponsor at FNM Bank, 221 Indian Lake Boulevard and at myfnmbank.com. We'll be right back. FNM Bank presents Sumner County Spot. Spotlights. Since 1906, FNM Bank has been serving Middle Tennessee with first-class products and services. Visit them today at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville or myfmbank.com. And welcome back to Sumner County Spotlight and our guest, Eddie Roberson. And we started to briefly talk about the memorial that has just went up uh, this past week. And Eddie, tell us a little bit about the history of this memorial. Well, thank you, Jeff. Um, again, it's good to be with you today. Uh, when I decided to uh, run for alderman in Ward 6, uh, I tried to visit uh, the police department, the fire departments. I visited several fire departments, and uh, Chief Bush met me on several occasions. And I wanted to meet the, the frontline police and fire personnel. And... While I was visiting one station, I noticed a little uh, a little statue and a, a piece of uh, a, a iron on it. And I was asking Chief Bush, I said, "What what is this?" And he said, "Oh, Eddie, this is this is a very important artifact that the city has." I said, "Well, what is it?" He said, "That is actually part of the the World Trade Center, the Twin Towers." that was destroyed at 9-11. So I I walked closer up to it, and I I touched it. I felt it. And I I felt the the jagged edges of that piece of, huge piece of iron. It's it's just actually a part of the superstructure of one of the Twin Towers. And as I touched it, I, I could almost, in my mind, go back and visualize and hear the sounds of that day. I, I, everyone remembers where they were when 9-11 yes. occurred. Uh-huh. And I, as I touched it and as I, I thought, it was a cloudy day that day. And I, I could almost remember the, the, the screams and the people and the, the horrible terrorist attack that, that shook our faith in America. Not our resolve, but it, 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 it shattered some of our dreams. And, and I, I told Chief Bush at that time, I said, Chief, 
we got to do better than this. This this is this is too important artifact just to put at one of the fire halls. This needs a more prominent position in our city. We need to highlight this so we will never never forget. You know, as you know, 9/11 there were many many firemen and many, many police officers that were killed that day trying to rescue the people in the Twin Towers. So that's that was the genesis of it. Uh, I was elected, and right after that, I, uh, I'm i a past president of the Rotary Club and an active member now. And I went to the uh, president of the Rotary Club at that time. It was Jonathan Hayes. And I kind of shared with Jonathan my vision, my, my, my dream that let's, let's, let's do this. Let's, let's put up a, a, a memorial to, to our first responders and let's highlight this artifact of, of nine 11. Uh, and I'll never forget, uh, Jonathan, we were both at that time running for Alderman and, and Jonathan said, uh, Eddie, let's do it. Let's take it to the board. Well, we took it to the Rotary Board, uh, uh, first I, I talked to some city officials. I talked to Andy Gilly in the parks, and he said, "By all means," we said we've got the perfect spot for it at Memorial Park. Went to the Board of Directors of Rotary, and and it was unanimous. They said, "Let's do it. This is yeah. a wonderful project. Uh, let's do it." And I'll never forget. Then they said, "All right, Eddie, you go out and raise the money." <laughs> and so. Uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, I committed uh, myself. We appointed a committee, uh, just two members of that committee. I have to give uh, credit to was uh, uh, was Julie White and Barbara Brennan. And uh, we started working on that. And we had uh, an original budget of uh, of about forty five thousand dollars. We came up with a design. Uh, and uh, it, it was amazing, Jeff, at the yeah. the response of the community. Yes, uh, we got approval to do it. Boma gave us the land to put it. We came up with a design to to uh, to um, give Duke uh, credit and and accentuate the 9/11 memorial. Um, and uh, we started raising money in the community, and the community was overwhelmingly in support of that. Yeah. Now, as you remember, this was at the height of COVID, and there were a lot of businesses that were shutting down. I mean, we yes. pretty much shut yeah. down the economy, uh, but the citizens and businesses of Hendersonville just overwhelmingly came to support this project. I'll, I'll never forget one one person that I went to to talk to about this project. And uh, I said, you know, we, and I won't divulge the name because he hasn't given me permission to do that. Mm -hmm. But I said, you know, we need, we need some help on this project. I showed him the picture of it. He said, Eddie, that is exactly what Hendersonville needs. And I, I gave him an amount. I said, we, we need this amount. He said, Eddie, I can't do that. So I said, well, I understand whatever you can do. He said, no, whatever you ask for, I'm going to double it. I'm going to give you twice <laughs> of what you're asking for. Nice. That just shows you how much the citizens of Hendersonville appreciate and, and, and love our first responders. Absolutely. So we raised 
the money for this. Uh, many people gave. I think there were over, like over 50 people that, uh, and, and businesses that gave to this. We made our budget. We started construction. Uh, and then, boom, uh, we were getting the granite from India, and there was a problem with getting the granite from India. Uh, it was the proverbial on the slow boat from China coming <laughs> from India, and it took a lot longer to get the granite pieces, but but we did get them up, and uh, the memorial stands now, and we're very proud and appreciative of the citizens of Hendersonville for their contributions to make this possible. Do you have any, I don't know, I guess, walls that you ran into, uh, challenges to, to really make the, I, I find it hard to believe anybody would resist doing anything like this, or they're not having to come out of any city funds or anything like that, but have you, did you run into any uh, brick walls with it? Well, the, 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 uh, the brick walls was uh, the, the COVID situation. We weren't able to raise the money as quick as we had hoped. Uh, we had hoped actually to dedicate it on 9 11. Yes. Um, but uh, the money came in a little slower than we had hoped. But, but again, it did come in and, and we exceeded our financial goal. Uh, the problem we had too was getting the granite. I mean, these are huge walls of granite uh, from India. Mm -hmm. uh, India must have suffered more than America in this pandemic. And so the shipment of that granite was several, several months delayed. Um, and then when it got here, <clears throat> we moved forward. So uh, <clears throat> we didn't have any impediments as far as people not supporting it. The Rotary Club, I mean, this transitioned through three Rotary presidents. Jonathan was first, Fran Marcoux was the second president. She was all in favor of it and very supportive. And then Keith Denon is now president. So, you know, it, it was almost a two-year project. And there's always little hiccups, you know, people on committees that resigned and be relocated. Uh, but, but uh, you know, looking back, uh, I guess the, the process now seems easier and easier than it was going through sure, it, but yeah. uh, people did step up, and we were very pleased. And then, and then yesterday, or, or on uh, Wednesday, uh, uh, October the twenty eighth, we had our dedication, and there was a monsoon, so that was another <laughs> impediment, you know. So some people said, "Well, let's put it off. Let's do it another day." And but but several people said, "No, we're going to do it. We've got the commitment. We need to follow through." And we had it in the rain. At Memorial Park, we had a huge tent. We had uh, over 200 people there, uh, and it was just a beautiful day of celebration. Well, and, and looking at the, the photos that came up on Facebook, it, it's just amazing. I, I just wish I could have been there because it would have probably been very, a very emotional time. And you had the bagpipes, you had uh, Jimmy Fortune and uh, singing and uh, entertaining, and, and what what a great voice he has. So I know it, that had to bring chills to everybody in attendance. Somebody asked me what, uh, what was the highlight of the day. And there were so many highlights. There's so many people that contributed and, and made that possible, the dedication on October the 28th. Uh, but to me, the highlight, and, and I was the MC, I spoke some and introduced many of the people there. But to me, the highlight several times during the day, and I sat right, right next to, the families of the fallen off. 
uh, Lauren Bristol yes. and, and, and the Gammon family and the McClary family. And there, there were just, there were, I think every family of a fallen officer was there. And the highlight of the day for me is several times I would look over and I would see tears coming down the faces mm. of the families of the fallen officers. Yeah. And, and I know that their grief was intense because this event brought back so many memories. But I also think that some of those tears were also tears of joy expressing that, hey, my loved one hadn't been forgotten. The, the sacrifice that, that my son or my husband uh, or my father made, you know, hasn't been forgotten. And I can assure the families of every fallen officers that we shall never, never forget their sacrifice. And this monument, this memorial stands as a tribute as I stated in my remarks, a hundred years from now, the words that we say today, the songs that we sing will be forgotten by future citizens of our city. But this monument will still be standing and will show that this generation, our generation, expressed its support and reverence to the first responders by building and erecting this monument. And I also said that it's our prayer that anyone that visits this monument in the future visits it with due reverence and respect. Well, and that goes without saying, because I think that, you know, what you've done there and just the design, the location, I mean, it's just uh, perfect. Who did the renderings and who came up with the idea for this layout? Well, we, we actually, uh, the committee uh, actually came up with the design, um, and uh, we looked at many other designs across the United States and other cities and other states. And uh, so we kind of looked at what has been done and, and incorporated what we wanted to do. And so actually we had no architect. We had no uh, engineer. I mean, we came up with the design. Rotary came up with the design. And I want you to understand, as, as, as your listeners go out and, and see the, the memorial, I, I want you to understand and visualize the symbolism of that monument. First of all, we have lights on that monument. That was one of our important points we said we don't want the light to we don't want this monument to ever be in darkness so we spent a lot of money we got the best led light that are on photo sent photo sensors so at every dusk when the the sun goes down the lights will shine on the memorial and then when the sun comes up the next day they'll they will go down so the 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 the, the memorial will never be in darkness. And that is symbol, symbolizes our support. Our support will never grow dark for our first responders. The second symbolism is, is you see the, the 9-11 artifact right in the middle of the monument. On each side, there are two granite walls. And on one wall, it has the badges with, this, with the, the slogan, service above self. It has the badge of the fire police the sheriff and the EM, 
uh, S services. On the other side, it's got a statement that that the citizens of Hendersonville appreciate our first responders. Uh, and then it has the image sketched into the stone. But I, the symbolism I want you to see is this monument represent also the Twin Towers. Yes. There's two pillars. There's two walls of granite. So those can be symbolized also as the Twin Towers. Absolutely. So we wanted, we wanted it to have that symbolic. So hopefully in the future, as citizens see this, they can see the symbolic nature of this. And, and we're just ex extremely proud that uh, our Rotary Club took this project on and gifted the city with this memorial. Well, Eddie, I, I have to say, I'm really moved by this, and I think, um, and everybody that's listening would thank you and everyone who is involved, uh, the Rotary Club, and, and anybody that had anything to do with this, that you get great kudos and just special thanks to, to all that you've done to make this happen. I think you're an asset to this city, and it's going to be remembered for a long, long time. So we're going into our next break, Eddie. We've been talking with Eddie Roberson, and we're going to be right back after this message from our exclusive sponsor, F&M Bank at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard and at myfnmbank.com. Com. We'll be right back. FNM Bank presents Sumner County Spotlights. Since 1906, FNM Bank has been serving Middle Tennessee with first-class products and services. Visit them today at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville or myfmbank.com. Good morning. This is Jeff Shannon, and this is Sumner County Spotlight, brought to you exclusively by FNM Bank at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard and at myfnmbank.com. We're here each Sunday morning at 10 o'clock right here at WHIN. And this morning, we got a, a couple of guests for you. We're going to talk uh, talk rugby right now. So I uh, introduced to you Brian Silkwood. Now, Brian, uh, he, along with five other rugby players, founded the Sumner Rugby League back in 2011 to promote rugby in high school and middle school kids around the Sumner County area. Sumner Rugby is a club team, so they pull players from all the schools, public private right here in Sumner County. And they're also a 501c3 organization. Uh, Tom Brennan retired from the financial services business after working in the steel business for a lot of years, and he's been playing rugby for 15 years. So guys, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. Let's start off and, and basically, uh, Brian, we'll just go back and forth here. Brian, tell us a little bit about your history. So Jeff, I started playing rugby in college. Um, a lot of it came from as a uh, as a small as a kid that grew up in West Virginia, one rugby wasn't around, but two, I was a uh, what I would call extremely small kid up until probably my sophomore year in high school. So uh, there was one sport that I wanted to play from time to time, but my mom would never let me play, uh, known as football. So I got off to college down at the University of Tennessee, um, was in the weight room. And one of the rugby players uh, that was in their lifts and started talking to me a little bit about rugby and recruiting me to come out. And I thought to myself, well, I'm 18. I'm in college. I'm five hours away. Mom can't stop me now. So um, <laughs> I went out and uh, tried it. Uh, ended up being um, uh, really, really good at the sport. Uh, loved it. Played for University of Tennessee for four and a half years played on the SEC select team for two years and then ended up uh, being invited in, uh, to the All-South Select Camp, and which is a kind of a collection of top collegiate athletes in rugby uh, for pr probably the kind of the 
say South seven, eight states, your Georgia, Florida, the Carolinas, Virginia, you know, uh, Alabama, Mississippi, Florida, you know, kind of that, that region. So I was invited to a camp of about 35 to 40 kids to try out for a, for a uh, uh, team to play there uh, in kind of a national ranking uh, type selection. Well, good history there. So I guess you're qualified to do this for sure. And Tom, tell us about yourself. Well, I started playing rugby at the University of North Carolina, and how that came about was I saw a picture of a friend of mine who ended up to be a really good friend of mine, and uh, they were drinking beer after a rugby party. So I said after I tried to get on the basketball team at Carolina, uh, I figured, well, I might as well do something. So I went out and tried out for the rugby club and, and uh, made it. And in my first tournament that we played in, I scored a try, which was pretty phenomenal for the first match ever. And went on from there, and I played with uh, Charlotte. I played with Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, I played in Pittsburgh as, as, our, as we moved up to Pittsburgh and then ended up my career about 15 years later uh, with Nashville. So uh, had a had a great career and I loved it and then um, and then my wife talked to Brian at Rotary one day and 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 asked he said he needed some help coaching so I started coaching with him about four years ago. Mm-hmm. Nice. I guess what's on a lot of people's mind is and I guess here in the states it's not as I guess well known uh, as it is over in the UK. But tell us uh, a little bit what is rugby. So rugby is a sport played with a similar ball as uh, a football. It's just a little bit bigger. Um, You cannot pass the ball forward, so the ball can only be passed laterally or or backwards to another player. Mm -hmm. Um, You must open up um, when you wrap. What I mean by that is think of almost like a – like a bear hug, you have to show that you are trying to wrap, and you also must tackle below uh, what I would call kind of the armpits and down. So you cannot tackle up over the shoulder or the head. That's part of the safety features that rugby has in place to keep players safe during the game. Uh, there's also no padding. So rugby players just have shorts, jersey, a mouthpiece, and cleats, no additional padding. Um, but I'd say the, the thing that most kids – uh, when they come out for the first time playing rugby, the ones that love it the most are usually the kids that have played football that have not been the running back or wide receiver quarterback. They're like, Coach, are you telling me I get the chance to run the ball? You tell me I can I can possibly score? Yeah. That right there is are some of the kids that seem to love rugby the most. And rugby, everybody gets an opportunity to touch the ball, run with the ball, it's a it's a sport that I would describe it as continuing, meaning when a player gets tackled, the play continues. It's not a okay, you got tackled there, let's break apart and reset. You just the game is continuous. So it, it's a it's a it's a phenomenal sport. I'm sure I'm sure Tom would agree. I certainly agree. And uh, the other the other thing that we we run into constantly is. Parents especially say, "Oh, this is just this is just football without pads." It's not like that at all. It you have to be so much more intelligent to play rugby than than people believe, mm-hmm. because we do have set plays. But once those set plays break down, then you have to know where to go and where to follow up. And the other thing is, we have fewer concussions in rugby than there are in football. 
And we constantly fight that battle, uh, talking to parents about that because they don't, they don't believe it. The majority of concussions come from kids hitting their heads on the ground. And the other thing that they don't understand until they see a match is there's no blocking. So you don't have to worry about somebody coming up and giving you a blindside block. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I know Brian's run into this because I've seen him hang around his, uh, his old, uh, teammates but you met the friends you make in rugby are friends for life it's it's unbelievable the camaraderie that you that you gain from playing rugby and 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 that's awesome and i so if the parents that are listening right now and they're saying well rugby i I don't know get my kids how can what can you say to reassure them um that this is going to be a safe sport for them to get involved with One of the things I, I would I would tell them is that um, for one you've got a coaching staff that everybody has played. Um, this is not um, a dad just helping out that's never played the sport and just trying to help teach help help you know teach or be the coach of the team. Um, I'd say other things that we teach about and that we that we go through as coaches is continuing to talk through safety of the game. Um, usually after every season, a lot of the coaches in the, in the middle Tennessee and Tennessee state area will have a meeting to talk about different things when it comes to safety, things that we've seen new um, uh, ways, the games have been played, what we need to do to watch how that, how a new variation is going to make sure we still keep kids safe. Uh, one of the other things that, that is, uh, very, very strict is if a, you cannot hit a player if they are off their feet. So meaning that if by chance the ball happened to be in the air and the player was, was jumping up to catch it, that player cannot be hit till they get back on the ground. So, I mean, there are a lot of things that are put into mm-hmm. rugby to keep the game as safe as possible, but you're still going to have your occasional injuries as you would in, in, in soccer. I mean, Mm -hmm. ankles or anything like that, knee problems, but you know, the safety of it being a tackling of a tackling sport is done um, from the coaching, from the referees, all the way down to the players. It's something that we, we take very seriously. Awesome. And so my, I guess my next question that comes to mind here is if if a high school or middle school, or I guess that's the age group we're going for, um, wants to get involved, but they have no experience, uh, would this be something that they could learn fairly quickly? So Jeff, I, that depends. I'm sorry, Brian, but the, that depends on the child and and the athlete uh, whether they can pick it up quickly. Mm-hmm. Now we'll we'll work with them, and we we've, we've worked with a lot of kids who have come up. And, uh, and, uh, especially the, the senior football players who come in to play with us. Um, but we, we work with all of those kids and we want them all to, to, mm-hmm. uh, enjoy the game. So I, I guess would in all the kids we've coached over the years, 99% of them have never experienced rugby at all prior to being a part of part of our program. So they're, they're coming out, and when they come out, they're in the same spot that every other kid was at some point. I've only had two kids in our entire program that played rugby in a different area prior to coming to our team. One kid moved from Atlanta, and one family moved from the Colorado-Denver area. So prior to that, everybody else is through our program 
has had no experience till they got to, to the coaching staff that we have. Now, one thing I will say, and part of what I'm proud of, is is that we have had a a um, lot of success in getting players off our team into the collegiate athlete experience. We've had numerous kids uh, get signed by um, small colleges and big colleges to play rugby. We've had kids at Coastal Carolina, University of Tennessee, MTSU, Western Kentucky, Lee, Arkansas State, Life University. I mean, you know, the, the list is, is pretty long. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of those kids, matter of fact, we have one that just came by practice this past Tuesday that played at Lee University. He was passing through town visits. Parents, they were heading up to go see some friends in Indiana and came out Tuesday, wanted to see the field, wanted to come by and say hello. Nothing better than when a kid comes back to say hello or sends me a text or sends you know, a Facebook message, hey, I just scored, or hey, I'm starting today for this college, or, or even if they're already done playing. So mm-hmm. you know, Tom's right. Uh, the camaraderie is huge, but just know that everybody that's come through the program, none of them knew anything about rugby prior to coming, you know, coming through our program. So for those uh, individuals that have played football, pretty much American football, all of their their lives, let's say, what kind of reprogramming do you have to do with those guys? Tom? Well, the first thing we have to reprogram is there's no blocking. (laughs) And uh, there is also called uh, uh, a play, it's a a penalty, it's called obstruction, uh, which means that you're getting in the way of, of, of a of a, another teammate and causing causing havoc mm-hmm. but we have to reprogram that them to uh not get in the way of of if they're not tackling they can't obstruct for a teammate mm-hmm. the other thing is uh teaching them how to pass uh, most most of these kids they they know how to throw a football but they don't know how to pass a rugby ball and that that's a total different mindset and that's that's the hardest thing we have to teach them to do is to pass it and pass it backwards. Right. I would add to that the one of the other things that we have to teach them that goes back to the safety of the game is the football kids are used to being able to just come in and blow somebody up with their shoulders or throw elbows and just you know annihilate somebody almost mm-hmm. like a like a bowling ball being thrown 100 miles an hour at some pins. Um, we have to to break them down to start opening themselves up to wrap and how to tackle correctly we're not in rugby we're less concerned about if the player that's carrying the ball falls forward or if we just get him we just want to get him down to the ground it very rarely does it really matter if you stop them dead in their tracks um you know with a, with a monster hit we just want to get them down the ground where they stop the other thing i think that the the fourth thing i think that probably some of the football kids is when somebody's tackled, the instinct of understanding that the play hasn't stopped and it's going to continue. That you will see people get tackled and then like, oh, hey, all right, we'll stand up for a minute. And then they realize, oh, wait a minute, no, this game, the game continues. There's mm-hmm. not a stoppage of play. Right. So what, I guess, let's go over, I know there's a lot of them. And so what are some of the main rules that uh, someone would have to adapt to? I mean, coming from the football aspect, other than, you know, you, you, we don't tackle, but uh, what are some of the main rules that, you know, might be in effect that maybe some of the parents could be asking? 
Uh, not being able to block is one. A lot of parents, you know, ask about that. Mm-hmm. A lot of the parents uh, talk about um, they they usually ask questions around the strategy of the game, where if you can't pass it forward, but yet you can kick it forward. You know, the difference is there. So you can kick the ball forward and you can run the ball forward. Um, if somebody, let's say the a player passes the ball back to a teammate and they dropped it. 95% of the time, the way the ball would fall is going to be considered a knock, which is considered almost like the ball was passed forward. I mean, it fell off your hands, it rolled forward. That's considered a knock. It gets turned over. Mm-hmm. So part the, the game is very strict on the way the ball moves, whether it falls backwards or falls forward, if the ball is dropped. So those are some of the things. Um, but I'd say more than anything else, people realize the passing the back part um, and the tackling, but it's, I think a lot of them get confused on the strategy. And then when it gets into some of the more penalties, uh, when it comes to when the tackle happens and trying to get the ball back to your team, things happen within there where, you know, you've heard people talk about like the scrum where you've got, you know, um, that's more of a reset, but like a ruck is, would be a similar for most parents, like, Oh, they're in there in the scrum. Well, not the technical term, but you've got four or five or six people, all in there kind of pushing or trying to get the ball to, to get it uh, back out to their own team. Things happen in there that can be um, a penalty uh, mm-hmm. based on what you're allowed to do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just fascinating to um, when you start watching it and being a novice or not knowing anything about it, it's kind of uh, understanding what's going on. It's just like when, when we moved up from Florida, we never really got into to hockey coming up here and started watching hockey. It was like, none of this made sense. Why is there nobody in the goal and they're shooting it? You know, this was driving me crazy because I didn't understand the rules and, and how the game was really played. And if somebody's coming in here brand new uh, into rugby, I, I'm assumed that, you know, the coaches would start and, you know, they would learn from, from the ground up. Correct. I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I would agree also. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Jeff is um, another segment of the game. Uh, if the ball goes out of bounds, mm-hmm. then we then we go to what's called a lineout, and so you have somebody on the sideline throwing it in between two lines of players, and they're both jumping. They're both sides are jumping for this ball, trying to get possession of it. Mm-hmm. And it, unless you know what it is, and this is your first time watching. You should, if you think they're nuts, but that's, <laughs> that's how you get it back in if it goes out of bounds. And so it's, it's fun to watch and there's all kinds of strategies with that too. Yeah. Great guys. Great information. Hey, listen, we're going to go into our break right now, but we're talking with Brian Silkwood and Tom Brennan, and we're going to find out more when we return after this message from FNM bank at two twenty one in Eden Lake Boulevard, right here in Hendersonville and at my FNM bank Stand by. FNM Bank presents Sumner County Spotlights. Since 1906, FNM Bank has been serving Middle Tennessee with first-class products and services. Visit them today at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville or myfmbank.com. Hey, welcome back to Sumner County Spotlight. This is Jeff Shannon, and we're continuing our talk with Brian Silkwood 
and Tom Brennan, and we're talking rugby. And we have a new rugby uh, field right here in Hendersonville. And Brian, tell us uh, a little history on how all this got started. As uh, as our rugby team, you know, uh, our first season of playing in 2012, we had a lot of issues finding a place that, that we could uh, get access to field on a regular basis. And in our first year, we kind of bounced around between some of the schools that us use, you know, their you know, kind of practice field or soccer field or something right out in front. And then we found a place down in Goatsville that we kind of ended up calling home for probably about the first eight or nine years of our plane. And kind of what that is, is it's really more of just a, an area that's it's city property, but it's not what I would call an actual sports facility. It's not even really a field. It's, a, it's really just kind of an open area that we were able to kind of go out and just paint some lines on that just happened to be big enough to to you know, get a decent sized rugby field that we could play on, uh, but never was really something that we were going to be able to develop or be able to use longer term. Didn't have light, you know, it was the grass cutting, I would call it uh, sporadic at best. So, really, for us, the vision behind the field was we were trying to find a way to get access to some fields. We had talked with you know the, the city of Hendersonville. We talked with the city of Goatsville. I talked a little bit with the city of Gallatin about trying to find a way to get access to fields for our team to play in practice. And pretty much the majority of the time, what I heard, and every time what I heard was all of our fields are completely spoken for. Meaning that there really isn't time on the fields to allow an, a new program to come in. Our organization started to figure out, you know, what if we try to build something? What if we try to create our own fields? And so um, after one of our championships, uh, one of our board members got talking with County Executive Anthony Holt, and he knew about some property that had. Uh, recently been donated to Volunteer State Community College. That was kind of off and away from the college, and they weren't going to probably do anything with it for many years. And so we started to look at trying to build something out there. Well, we kind of ran into a, a local bus saw with some uh, <laughs> residents of the, the kind of the Cottontown area that, that weren't big on having rugby come about and didn't really weren't really ready for change in that area. So we, through that group, they knew about the property to where we ended up building the new complex out. They knew about knew about that and some of what was going to be happening with it. And so from the transition from Volunteer State Bank and I really, uh, Volunteer State Community College, I really want to thank Dr. Faulkner and being open and allowing us to start the project and try to get something going there because it eventually led to led us to the, the complex where we ended up building now out by Durham Farms. Mm-hmm. So it really kind of started from the fact that we we kept really not having a home base and we couldn't find one and we were having problems getting access. And so we figured, you know what, we're going to try to figure out a way to make our own complex. And that's, that's kind of what we did. Well, I know that the, the city uh, is very impressed with the improvements that you've made uh, to that property. And it's, I think it's phenomenal. I mean, you have a, a, a blank space there and you guys actually went above and beyond with what you've done to that property. Is that correct? Everything that we've done with the property is, you know, one, um, it, it would ha- it'd be included in anything that Simbe would want at a top-notch, um, you know, sports sports field. One of the things that we did in kind of partnering with the city on this project was that the property continues and will always be the city's property. Mm-hmm. So 
the rugby group does not have exclusivity out at this new complex. We have the first right of refusal or preferential treatment, preferential scheduling in a way when we need access to the fields. But, you know, a lot of the things, and that's the biggest thing that really the city liked was, you know, if we build it, they're going to maintain it. But it also, they also saw that, wow, if we can get a group on a public-private partnership to get this built, they're going to have it there for years. And if it's done right, long, long years. And it can also help alleviate some pressures they may have at certain times of the year where they might need an extra field when we're not using it in the maybe in June or July or something like that to help alleviate. But the biggest thing I think the city liked that I think really let them uh, move, let us move forward with it to make these improvements was we 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 told them that we were going to drill a well hmm. and to fund or not fund but to essentially fill the water for the irrigations so essentially the what they would have a very minimal expense for actually having to keep the the fields watered as example you know I was told that the that the soccer fields over at volunteer uh, right right in front of Knox Doss can run anywhere from four to six thousand dollars for the few months no. during you know those four months during the summer to, to just put the water out so we gave them a well not have to pay for the water and just have a small electricity bill that would be part of it well and i think that's uh, tremendous and with all of the uh, expenditures that you know the city is doing anyway and it's uh Uh, one of the things that would help out be very impressed, uh, you know, if I was listening to this, but uh, it's going to be a great complex. And I guess you're going to be bringing some major rugby tournaments uh, to this field as as well. That's correct. I mean, part, part of, part of what we're hoping to do and part of what we are doing is, is that we will have the Tennessee state championships will, will be held here for the next Mm -hmm. five years. Uh, We also have an agreement with the university of Tennessee where I played. Uh, They're planning to accommodate and come up and play a couple games at some point over the next five years. Uh, Kind of what we talked about with them would be maybe, maybe Tennessee invites like uh, Vanderbilt and Kentucky and maybe Ohio state. And we do kind of a little collegiate round Robin there at our site and can also kind of be a fundraiser, but then also allow uh, kids that come from the Middle area that play on some of those other teams, you can have a have a close game at home. So, you know, everybody in the rugby community uh, wants to see uh, fields and, and the growth of the sport. And so everybody's wanting to be supportive as best they can to help help us in the endeavors that we've done to bring this uh, great new complex to the Sumner County area. Tell us, uh, like, what is the, the rugby season from what day to what day? Uh, the rugby season generally runs from in the spring we run from late january say maybe early february till mother's day weekend so call it kind of february to mid-may and then that's the game that most people know is being 15 on 15 and then in the fall in the high school we play what's called seven so it's seven on seven for two seven-minute halves. I know that for people listening, that probably doesn't sound like a whole lot, but uh, it ends up being just an all-out sprint. I mean, the, the boys will tell you and the players will tell you sevens is as tiring as playing two 30-minute 15 periods. Mm-hmm. It's it's just a it's just an all-out sprint. But that's but but realistically, around the country, really rugby's played almost all year round. Like in the summer, there ends up being um, select sides that play. Um, so I mean, Tom and I coach. I don't want to say almost year round, but it's not far off because usually when our season's yeah. done in May, we're usually coaching a select team in June at a ter- at, at a tournament. Um, I've traveled, you know, I've traveled to Las Vegas and Los Angeles to Florida, you know, coaching uh, very select teams that you know uh, would encompass players from all over the South. 
So, Tom, you have a, a comment on this, and also I want to follow up with you on some of the games and traveling and that kind of thing that parents can expect. So go ahead, Tom. I just wanted to say that I've helped with the uh, with the select teams that have gone on to Vegas. I haven't made those travels, mm-hmm. but uh, if if those kids are good enough and they, they get selected for our Panther team, they can travel anywhere. I mean, we've had teams that have uh, from from there go to uh, Mexico, to the islands in the Caribbean. You know, if they if they get good enough and they and they practice and we they show that that uh, that those skills, they can go anywhere. In fact, we we had a, we had a, a young player who almost made it. He he, he was he almost made it to the USA Eagle team. So, uh, which was, we were really proud of him, but, uh, but those kids can go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as their local matches, they're going to they're end up playing a lot here because all these other coaches in middle Tennessee, they want to come here now. And, uh, they didn't want to go to our other field and I don't blame them. I didn't either, <laughs> but the other travels will, we'll end up going to Memphis. We'll end up going to Knoxville, but mostly in the, in the Tennessee area, mm-hmm. because the seasons are, are they may sound like they're long, but they're really not. They're pretty short seasons. So we, we have to we have to take all those considerations in mind too, that the the kids are in school. Yeah. So we have to make sure that they get their studies done. Go over the I guess the different echelons or different levels of the teams. You know, I guess you're down here, you're here, and you get up to the what they I guess from baseball they they're the travel league. So what are those different levels? Here in Sumner County. We have a middle school team, we've got a high school boys team, and we've got a girls side also, which mm-hmm. we've just started this year, and we've hired, we've brought on a, a new coach who is who has international experience, and so we're trying to recruit for the girls team right now. Excellent. Uh, and if then we start having tryouts for I I mentioned it before the the Panthers, which is an under nineteen team that travels. Uh, to these big tournaments, so you know there's some there's going to be some expenses involved with those with those kids, and we try to work it out with them. But if if they're good enough, well, like Brian said, we, they, they'll go to Vegas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as I said, I mean we had one player who he went to Mexico and the Caribbean in uh, in the same year, so traveling with them. So yeah. it, you know it, it's it's a lot of fun for those kids because mm-hmm. then they get to see other other players from other parts of the country and other, you know, other islands and stuff like that. Uh, And he, he mentioned to me last week, he's also one of our coaches, which is Alex Dillard. Uh, He mentioned to me that he said, these fields that we're playing on now were what he played on in Mexico. And uh, of course, of course it was also at 5,000 feet up higher. So he said, my stamina wasn't there, but sure. he said, these fields are just unbelievable. Yeah. If you're looking for coaches, which I understand a lot of them volunteer, so they, they're not really getting paid. They just do it for the love, but how hard is it to, to recruit uh, coaches? Coaches, coaches is, uh, in our game, it is hard to recruit coaches. Um, and I will say when it comes to high school, middle school coaches end up being the lifeblood of a organization staying uh, together and staying uh, for a long time. It's it's hard. We've seen it before. When a coach leaves a program, a lot of times within a year or two after that, that program tends to 
you know, kind of ends up dissolving. It's rugby is a harder sport for somebody that hasn't played it to come in Mm. to try to pick up a team and make a team and try to, and try to learn to be able to coach it. Uh, a lot of us, the, the safety part is a, is a big part of it, but just knowing some of the different uh, nuances on how to teach the game, it, it's a little bit harder than, than some of the other, other sports like a baseball or soccer, right. you know, just being somebody that can kind of help teach, you know, teach the game uh, in other ways. So what about referees? I, do you, I guess you call them referees. Uh, again, this is my ignorance uh, of the sport, but uh, what about referees? Are, are you having any trouble recruiting Jeff, that's a huge problem for us right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, they've they are implementing uh, a new plan to get players to shadow, and so that as they graduate, if they if they continue in this area and they mm-hmm. want a referee, we're, we're hoping that they'll do that. Nice. Uh, but recruiting referees is really hard because you have to have to have played the game to understand it. And you should have played for a long time to understand it. So it, we're, we're really having that problem. We'd love to, in fact, we've asked some of the coaches, some of the younger coaches to see if they'd be interested in refereeing. So yeah, nice. we're trying to do it, but it's, it's hard to get them to do it. In our, our closing here, any closing statements or maybe asks that you would like the community to, to help you guys with? One of the things I wanted to talk about a little bit, just dealing with the new complex, was talk a little bit about maybe everything that's out there real quickly, and then just talk about. So, you know, we have two full-size international-size rugby fields. So, a rugby field generally is roughly eight to ten yards wider all the way around than a football field. You know, I want to thank Houston Clink for being our field sponsor on field one, UBS for being our field sponsor on field two. But in our project, we put in a parking lot for roughly 100 cars. Mm. We put in an irrigation system to irrigate both fields. We put in the well we talked about. We put in the electricity to feed the, the electricity infrastructure to feed the well, to feed the future bathrooms that we're working on on phase two. Also, it's already set up to feed the future lights, which is phase three, uh, you know, sports lights. And then we also had uh, fields were laser graded. So the fields while it doesn't have a hump in the middle as you would see on a football field, they are laser graded to the way that the way that the site works with having the creek nearby to where the water will run off the most efficient. Mm-hmm. And we ended up putting in sports sods. I mean, we have when you go out the the field is as levels can be. You've got very short normal sports Bermuda turf that you would see at any other well well-funded, well-done sports field. Mm-hmm. And we're very proud of how far we've gotten and how much we've done in this first phase. And we're now looking to uh, try to, to work on phase two, which is getting the bathrooms and concessions put in and, mm-hmm. and established for the site as well. Well, that leads me to the, the, the final question I have for you guys. If somebody wanted to donate or get in touch with you to, to help you out with this, what's a good contact for you? They can email uh, Coach Brian at Silk rugby at yahoo.com i'd say one of the best you know one of the best things that we need really for the bathrooms 
is we're trying to figure out at this juncture more of the building of the roof uh, structure. So if anybody has experience or wants to help out kind of the roof structure over the building, we feel like we've got the majority of the rest of that of that part figured out. We just really are trying to figure out the roof slash covered open space that we're going to build uh, to have a really nice concession bathroom facility out there on our on our location. Well, that's fabulous, man. This is this is such a, a great asset to the to city of Hendersonville and and for all of the rugby players. I mean, everybody's going to want to come here for sure. Well, listen, that's uh, going to do it. It's going to wrap it up. We're glad you found us here this morning. Thanks to uh, Brian Silkwood and Tom Brennan, and we appreciate your time this morning. Join us again next week for more of Sumner County Spotlight right here at WHIN. You'll be able to listen to this again by going to whinradio.com. You can click the podcast section there at the top of the website. This is Jeff Shannon. Join us again next week for another Sumner County Spotlight brought to you by FNM Bank at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard and at myfnmbank.com. Have a good week. Sumner County Spotlight has been brought to you exclusively by FNM Bank, 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville. Whether you need personal banking, banking for your business, or even home mortgages, FNM Bank can provide you with excellent service right here in Sumner County. Visit them today at myfmbank.com. Sumner County Spotlight will return next Sunday at 10 a.m. Thanks for listening.